Welcome to another episode of Leading Matters. Today, my guest is Chris Sira. He is the founder of ArcWeb Technologies in the Philadelphia region. And he's also one of the original visionaries of an organization in Philadelphia that goes by the name of Philadelphia Startup Leaders. And, uh, you know, we're going to cover that quite a bit in the beginning of the interview here. But what is especially interesting in this discussion with Chris is how those early beginnings of his entrepreneurial life really led him to care a little bit more intimately about the community. And it's really uh, what you're going to hear here is uh, here, here. What you're going to hear as I speak with Chris is that transition into his uh, company, ArcWeb, how he kind of kept this collaborative communal approach and then as they grew how he made decisions to you know add a little bit more process you know right wrong or indifferent as we grow sometimes process is a necessity and we have a choice we can make the process uh, something that is edifying and drives our mission and our values or we could succumb to be uh, slaves of the process and ArcWeb has absolutely done the former and in exemplary manner and their customers are big fans of what they do and Chris has really done an excellent job of establishing ArcWeb Technologies as a leading provider of, of design in the region. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and jump into my interview with Chris Sierra, the founder of ArcWeb. All right, today joined by Chris Sierra, the founder and CEO of ArcWeb Technologies in Philadelphia. Uh, I know Chris uh, just in passing over the, the years, and I ran into him at Philly Tech Week uh, last month, and I asked if he would be gracious enough to join us because he's doing some really fantastic thing with ArcWeb and, and really has some great entrepreneurial and leadership experience in and around Philadelphia region. So I was uh, bold enough to ask, and Chris was uh, gracious enough to agree. So first things first, Chris, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to, to join me and, and just... Uh, Share some of your insight. Pleasure to be here, Joel. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, I, I you probably, you know, it was a busy night the night I met you. It was probably 2010 or something. It was one of those uh, fishbowl events that Philly Startup Leaders used to hold. And I always, and, and I, I came across Philly Startup Leaders, geez, I don't know, 2008 or so. And I used to kind of just kind of stalk a little bit and, and was curious about the goings on. And then finally went to a fishbowl. And just you and the whole leadership team, I was so taken by the, the lot of you because you guys were really committed to what you were doing at the time. So I thought it would be appropriate to set the, the context for our conversation to just briefly share that story, right? How you came to be one of the founders of Philly Startup Leaders, what it was all about, and, and kind of that that progress of, of your uh, you know journey, if you will, that led you to getting ArcWeb underway. And I guess that was, what, about 2011 or so. So just uh, you know, give us some of the color commentary on that. Philly Startup Leaders, people call it PSL, is, is now a, an organization uh, unto, it, you know, unto itself. It basically has a, a board, uh, a leadership team, and a, and a community of, of a thousand plus entrepreneurs, startup people, people that are considering to, to jump and take the plunge into entrepreneurship um, in, in the Philly region. And, uh, you know, overall the goal is to provide support, resources, inspiration to tech-focused startup entrepreneurs and to help foster the overall ecosystem in the greater Philadelphia region. So, you know, that's, that's a mission, you know, that, that is currently held today. Uh, at, at the time, it was really just about peer, peer mentorship. And to a large extent, it, it still is all about peer mentorship. And I, I didn't go to Wharton. Um, there was, you know, the, the early founders of PSL, uh, none of us went to Wharton. 
and you know Wharton had a had a startup culture and community kind of onto itself and was one of the the few places in Philadelphia that you know had a place to go and a sort of a place to hang out if uh, if if you were you know wanted to to start a company and you know Philadelphia had a bunch of groups at the time that were focused on entrepreneurship, but if you went to any of those events, uh, there was more service providers than, than actual entrepreneurs, or they were, you know, all pay-to-play organizations, meaning they weren't free. Um, you know, you, you'd have to pay, you know, some amount of money to, to attend before you even recognized that there was any any value there. So, Blake Janelle, who, who I credit and, and deserves, you know, the original founder of, of Philly Startup Leaders, uh, started to get together uh, a small group of, of about eight people um, to meet after work, you know, at sort of a happy hour time at at a bar and, um, you know, get a bunch of people together that were just entrepreneurs. And these were, you know, hand-selected, curated group. And I, I made it to the second of those outings. I was not there at the first one. And, you know, and then there was a sort of a natural tendency to say, oh, you know, so-and-so that I know, you know, should really be here and, and there was essentially a hand-picked and curated group of other entrepreneurs that were picking other entrepreneurs to go to the next, you know, essentially what's now called a meetup, although at the time, you know, meetup.com didn't exist. So uh, several months had gone by, and there was, you know, 50-plus people going to this event every week, and it was all entrepreneurs. So, I mean, there was really nothing like it in its in its time. And this is after, you know, this is in 2007, uh, 2006 time period. So, the, you know, it was many years after the dot-com bust in Philadelphia, and many of the startup community that existed out on the 202 corridor, you know, there's a number of venture capital firms, you know, very well-known and, you know, had billion-dollar valuations at the time of the bubble. And, you know, you know, my perspective was that that community basically blew up and died, and nobody, nobody was really around from that era sort of teaching, coaching, giving back to this new wave of entrepreneurs that were all, you know, had just quit their jobs and were looking to take the plunge. and um, we're ready for, you know, mentorship and to meet people. So, you know, we basically created that um, environment and, um, you know, for, for people to go that, you know, um, you know, didn't have, you know, didn't, didn't go to Warden necessarily and, and uh, you know, didn't really have, a, have another place to go. It was basically a, a public group and, um, you know, it's, it, you know, now it's, now it has, you know, quarterly events that, you know, I think the last event had 800 people show up the Entrepreneur Expo, which was at Philly Tech Week. Uh, the mayor showed up. He's, he's actually showed up the last several uh, Entrepreneur Expos. He was there for more than two hours. Um, and, you know, it's probably one of the most well-attended events um, for entrepreneurship in Philadelphia ever. Um, so, uh, so anyway, it's, it's become a, a place to go and a, and a place to meet other peers. And uh, it now has a mailing list, which is also – um, you know, sort of the digital community that, that's different. And it's funny, you said something about stalking earlier, and we call those lurkers. They're people that are on the mailing list for sometimes years and years, never even say a word, or are actively listening and, and sort of engaged at, at that level. And, and there's a lot of lurkers. So the, the physical community that goes to events and, and the digital community are two different things. And at this point, I'm actually, you know, I was the you know, I was a co-founder, I was the you know, technical director, then I was a technology director, then I was the president, and then I I was the chair, and now I'm, I'm technically nothing or an emeritus member of sorts. But you know, I'm back to being you know a PSLer. I'm, I'm a member of the community, and uh, and now there's you know a board and, and a whole bunch of other um, you know people. You know, there's a, a large collection of volunteers involved in the group that keep it alive, and, and it's an all volunteer organization, so it's full of passionate people that are that are trying to promote the cause. 
So would you say, Chris, because again, I, I, I um, probably, like you said, one of those lurkers for a time. Actually, I, I haven't paid too much attention to the mailing list of late, but definitely gleaned a lot of information expertise. But one of the things I've really always enjoyed about PSL was the commitment to the region and the community and the city and how connected that the, the PSL kind of became with some of the you know the leaderships within the community you mentioned the mayor showing up at the um, Philly uh, tech startup week expo no, I'm butchering the name but what you just said there so I guess was it uh, was it was it a conscious decision to say hey look we're going to do this in a way that edifies the community builds up the community tries to keep talent local and to edify one another as far as building up our businesses local or did that just kind of evolve I'm curious and the reason I ask and I'm gonna get to this in a second is that this whole notion of I've heard it said many times uh, to some of the clients that that I work with that are starting to build larger development shops and they're told a lot of times by some of the the venture capitalist firms in and around the region even up in the New York way that hey look if you want to build talent in your region you have to be within Philadelphia and I wonder if they would have said that 10 years ago so I know that's a long-winded question but really you know was the commitment to the community a conscious decision and then do you think it's responsible for Philadelphia becoming more recognized as a place to identify uh, technical talent so there's there's three questions there so I'll try to try to answer them you might have to remind me one of them I that's going on but, uh, you know, funny thing, you know, to answer your first question, funny thing is uh, PSL actually had a government subgroup when it was first formed. Um, you know, after we got, you know, 50-plus people at every event, we started to have operational meetings to get those same people that were showing up at the bar to, um, you know, cre- basically create individual groups and causes that have their own objectives and then have kind of an accountability structure where we were checking in every few months or quarterly uh, to see if those objectives are achieved. And we actually had a government subgroup. Uh, and at the time, I believe it was the, the street administration, so it was prior to Mayor Nutter becoming the mayor. Um, and we were trying to get, you know, people in the city to basically care about our group and this initiative. And it's so funny, the, the group actually dissolved because it, it wasn't getting any traction with the city. And at one of these operational meetings, um, w- one of the people that attended there said, you know, stop wasting your time, you know, trying to get the government's attention. Just just keep going, you know, with, with this group and with your efforts. And, and if it's, you know, if it's anything that's going to be successful, the government will eventually figure it out. And uh, and that ended up being largely true. Um, so um, it took a while for, you know, the city itself to really start paying attention. Um, but I think it also really took a mayor like like Michael Nutter, who, you know, he actually has an entrepreneurship degree from, from uh, University of Penn, Pennsylvania. So, you know, he, he actually, you know, cares about this subject and cares about small business. So I think the, the people in the Commerce Department with combination of the mayor and, and that sort of as a collective entity really made it part of their uh, planning to, you know, try to engage the entrepreneurship community. So so that was a deliberate thing on their part, and I commend them, you know, so many times over, over for that. Um, PSL, you know, has gotten into, you know, government um, you know, oriented initiatives in that, you know, there's been people, you know, not directly, so the organization itself has never done any sort of lobbying or whatever, but there's certainly been individuals that are on the leadership team or PSL that have done government activities uh, and tried to help push a positive uh, agenda that, you know, would be looked at, you know, favorably by the business community. Um, so so there's been a lot of uh, initiatives by, you know, people, and, and really PSL is, is 
part of the community. So it would be, you know, people are part of a small business community in Philadelphia. Most likely they're a member of PSL. So inevitably they're going to be involved. You know, the city should be talking to them, getting their feedback on, on initiatives that the city is doing. So, so anyway, um, that I think I think answers some of your first question. Uh, was it was it meant to be, and was it ever planned that it would be this thing unto itself? Uh, no, not really. I think you know the commitment was really peer mentorship. My personal interest was more for people like me that had a job that were, you know, didn't have the confidence yet to take the plunge and jump into entrepreneurship. And so I was really trying to, you know, the work that I was doing, you know, mostly I feel like and the people I was meeting with, the people I was trying to mentor was always people trying to help them get comfortable with their, you know, the idea of quitting their job. How do they talk to their friends and family that are objecting to this crazy idea of quitting their job? And, and all of the issues that go along with that. So I think peer mentorship has been a huge uh, common thread, I think, for any anyone in PSL, and, and it always, and the people that join the leadership team and the people that are on the board are all the pay it forward type of people, meaning you know, they do what they do because they love doing it, not because they expect anything in return. And so I think that that aspect of it, which is why it's an all volunteer organization and, and has been has remained that way, as opposed to um, you know constantly raising money, having an executive director that does half program services, half Half fundraising, you know, we've, we've ignored, um, you know, or, or I shouldn't say ignored, we've resisted the temptation to move into that model because we felt that it would taint, um, you know, what we were doing. So, um, you know, I commend the current leadership team, current president, president board chair, Bob Mal, for, for kind of keeping it back to its, its core principles and, uh, and also credit the board too. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't ever really meant that um, to be that way from the beginning, and you know I'm obviously delighted that it became you know such a big thing, and I and I think the fact that it's so focused on access and that anyone can join, there's no you know we actually had stringent membership criteria uh, where you couldn't just join the group, you actually had to to fill out an application and all this other stuff, which which we eventually got rid of because. Um, it wasn't really an open community at that point, and, um, you know, we basically decided that if we wanted to have private communities within PSL, they could certainly form, you know, themselves and be private within PSL, but they wouldn't necessarily, um, it wouldn't be the community at large. And I think that decision also helped uh, immensely sort of towards the sustainability um, and the fact that it still has credibility, you know, six, seven years later, whatever it's been. Um, so, anyway, um I don't. I don't recall your third question. Can you repeat it, please? If, if it's still there. <laughs> no, sure. It was. It was. Uh, I, I was mentioning that I've been hearing of late in the last eighteen months or so that uh, some some clients of mine that are looking for advice or raise capital, even they're being told, "Listen, if you want, if you need to aggressively develop tech, then you need to be within the city proper." Right. In other words, you're going to find more talent there. So I was curious if you think, in your opinion, if uh, PSL's success has had anything to do to contribute to the notion that there's solid tech talent to be found in Philadelphia? Um, I'd say to answer it quickly, you know, no or probably not. I mean, I think there's so many forces at play on a macro level. Um, I think PSL has, you know, helped in some regard. But, um, you know, I think there's in a, a push just nationally where cities, you know, people are migrating more towards cities across the board in this country. Uh, it's not it's not just in Philadelphia. Philadelphia already had a huge, um, you know, university, or, you know, bunch of university communities with Penn, Drexel, 
you know, and then outside the city, immediately outside the city, Rowan. I mean, there's a whole bunch of schools around here. So there's been tons of talent, you know, imported, you know, from across the globe that come to Philadelphia already. So um, I think that's, you know, there's been a, a number of forces at work, um, but I do think um, the city has gotten um, a lot better from a tax perspective, which has caused mobility into the city. So um, there is a partnerships tax that was removed for venture capital firms, which allowed venture firms like First Round Capital, for instance, to move into the city. And, you know, inevitably that's going to change, you know, funding strategies and whatnot for a lot of startups. Um, so that that also is at play. Um, so I think there's a lot of things going for Philadelphia, you know, from property value and, and a number of other things that are causing a draw into the city. But, you know, the, the momentum is, is really undeniable at this point. I mean, you're seeing more and more companies open satellite offices in Philadelphia that have a, a solid presence out in the burbs that are, you know, opening up a Philadelphia office, you know, just to take advantage of the talent that's here because they don't want to go to the region or whatever because they just – maybe they just graduated school, they live in the city, they don't even have a car yet. You know, when I graduated college, I didn't have a car yet. I took the bus to traffic.com, you know, an hour and a half every day for, you know, probably nine months before I finally bit the bullet and bought a, a car. Um, so anyway, I think there's uh, you know, the, the momentum into the city is undeniable. I think PSL has you know helped at some level, but I think there's a lot of other forces at play. Yes, that's good. I'm glad I asked the question. And listen, thanks for indulging me on that because I think the, the, the reason I wanted to dive into PSL because I think it really sets the context for your experience, right? Because you've been there, you've done it, and you've taken the plunge. I know ArcWeb isn't your first startup, uh, but yeah, let's jump into ArcWeb now, right? I know it's about four years old or so. You're, you're basically, uh, I want you to kind of fill me in on it a little bit, but then really want to talk about your your focus. Now, four years in, okay, you're well you know, past the the... You know, the first year is just getting up and running and finding some clients and, and booking revenue. So I'm quite certain, as you share with me at Philly Tech Week, that things are a little bit more consistent, obviously, today. So, you know, to help us understand what ArcWeb Technology is all about, and then let's fast forward to today and how you actively kind of lead the organization to say, hey, here's what our priorities are as far as what we're going to do, right? Uh, you know, not necessarily in a, in a detailed fashion, but say, hey, this is, this is what I do personally to keep us focused. Okay, so the mission of Arcwave Technologies is to build products that people love. As a firm, we do product design, product development of enterprise software. From a vertical perspective, we do a lot of work in financial technology. Other verticals that we're in are healthcare technology, e-commerce, do a lot of work in home automation. So those four you know, verticals, if you will, um, are where the bulk of our business comes from, and the majority of all of that is, is financial technology solutions. So we're doing work in wealth management, retail banking, insurance, um, a bunch of other financial applications, and that includes you know, web, mobile, desktop development. So our team is around 30-plus uh, people. About 20 of them are, are software developers, software engineers. Uh, five, or actually no, six user experience designers, three product managers, and a, and a business team, which includes you know, operations, finance, and, uh, and myself as CEO. So that's the description of the company in terms of, of leadership and, you know, setting priorities, et cetera. I mean, biggest thing I try to do is, is always lead by example and have a, have a company culture um, that, that 
allows that to thrive. And, um, you know, some of the things I've always, you know, sort of operating philosophy for me, you know, for a number of years has been, you know, just do it and ask for permission or ask for permission later. And uh, we have a lot of, you know, people at ArcWeb that are that are very good at pushing the envelope and don't necessarily need to be directed and, and just go, go, go. So, you know, the the the, the people at ArcWeb are, are kind of a formidable force and uh, and are very, very talented. Um, so leading by example is is really important. So and that that comes in, you know, so many so many different ways uh, at the company. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the culture itself. So uh, I, my background is in software engineering. I have two computer science degrees. I was a professional developer for for ten plus years before um, you know before doing what I'm doing right now. And uh, I always knew that. You know, I got most of my work done on nights and weekends uh, for for the jobs that I had because most of the day was filled up with meetings, and that's you know, true of many many corporations that I worked at. So, with ArcWeb, we've we've organized our day to have three days a week where you're in the office, and two days a week where you can work wherever you want. So we buy everybody a MacBook Air. You know, some people want MacBook Pros, so we buy the MacBook Pros. So they're they're mobile by design, and uh, and you come in three days a week. And so we have um, a completely open office environment where you know. Everyone is sitting at a desk in, in a bullpen environment, and um, that includes myself. So I don't I don't have an office. I don't have a, a special seat anywhere. I'm I'm right in with everybody else. In fact, we actually change our seats every two months deliberately to force people that didn't sit next to each other before to sit next to each other again. And we don't organize people in functional teams either. So we've got product management, design, and engineering all sitting next to each other, including next to the salesperson. So we've kind of taken both extremes, where one extreme is you're, you know, some people are working by at home by themselves, um, you know, on Tuesday, and then Wednesday they're they're back to work in in this you know very open collaborative environment. So we, we kind of optimize on both extremes. Uh, we buy everybody a co-working space membership that wants one. So Indie Hall, which is one of the you know most prevalent larger co-working spaces in the world. Uh, is right around the corner from us, and actually, ArcWeb started as, at Indie Hall. We started at the co-working space, so so I buy everybody that wants one a membership to that, and I bought people memberships to other co-working spaces that prefer another space. Uh, we eat lunch as a team. You know, we buy everybody lunch once a week. Uh, we use Seamless for that, so we you know everybody gets to pick their own order. So we eat lunch, you know, almost like family style. Everybody's sitting together at a big table. Um, I always have an open invite for people that want to have their friends either come eat with us on a Friday or just work at our at our at our company. So we have an open desk at every pod. So a pod is just a bunch of desks. We have an open space at every desk. So that makes it easy to collaborate with people. It also makes it really easy to have guests, whether it's clients that want to come visit us or just someone's friend that wants to hang out at you know a high growth you know services you know technology services company. Um, so you know the, just going back to kind of the the leadership by example point. I mean I try to really Make sure that I'm I'm not a special person here. I, I'm just I'm following the same rules as everybody else, and the and the rules are are pretty thin. You know, we have a, we have a Sonos here. Anyone can can queue up songs that they want to. So the music in in the space is is always changing and different every day. Um, and um, yeah, so so I try to just you know be be like everybody else. I, I report my vacation days. You know, <laughs> you know using the you know the, our system for reporting vacation. I mean, I really try hard to to not make anything special for myself. I've probably taken the least number of vacation days here too. Um but you know anyway that's that's beside the point. So um 
No, you know, I tell you what, I I love the description, right? Because uh, you're you're clearly passionate about it, right? You obviously believe in it, and it's working for you, right? So, you said at the beginning, you know, the mission is to make products people love, right? Now that is, uh, I love that because I, I talk a lot about mission, and I ask a lot of leaders about, hey, you know, define. You, to me, mission has to be simple. It needs, in other words, it can't be this complex thing. It's got to be easily understood by everybody on the team, so that they could adopt it as their own. Do you do you feel that your your team would echo that? In other words, are they really passionate about not just the the culture of of ArcWeb, but also the mission to deliver product that people really, honest to goodness, fall in love with? Yeah, you know. So I mean, now so ArcWeb kind of you know we basically have you know three layers now from a from a org chart perspective. I even I, I mean I almost dislike even calling it an org chart. We have we have no actual org chart anywhere. We've never drawn one. Not that I'm opposed to that, but you know we just don't really focus on it. Um, so you know I think you know where I can always see some disconnect right is you know the the furthest that you are from the top, you're less connected to to the top. So I mean that's why we have a mission statement. That's why we have core values. And you know that's why we openly talk about those. And so, um, so I, I believe especially the people at the middle there could recite that mission statement and a number of our core values. You know, almost at will. We don't we don't make people memorize it, but but um, and I and I believe a number of the people um, sort of at the at the bottom layer could as well. But you know, I I would say they're they're less connected than the people at the top, which is why we put so much emphasis on the community within Farquhar. You know, we are a community, we're a company, but we're totally a community. You know, we're going to have our our off-site, you know, people's families are going to be there, and, you know, we're going to be playing a bunch of games outside. And, I mean, it, you know, we are absolutely a community. And people people don't really think about your company as a community, but it absolutely uh, is a community. So um, so the mission core values, it took us a long time to actually have them published, and, 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 and we've iterated on that a few times. Like, uh, we've had, you know, different different mission statement, um, you know, even, even a year ago, you know, the mission statement was actually different. So... Um, you know, it's, it's an iterative process. You know, actually, one of our core values is that we know that iterations are the only path to perfection, meaning that it'll never be perfect and you need to iterate. And, you know, these are, these are core values that, you know, I hope and, you know, one of the reasons for creating them was so that the people that are managing other people or managing other projects can always point back to those and say, does this actually fit our core values? You know, we've made this decision, but it actually doesn't align with our core values, and I'm going to call that out. And I hope that, it, you know, someone at the lowest level feels perfectly comfortable even telling me that a decision has been made that doesn't line up with those core values because then there's no other way to say say it than like you know what you're you're right you know this doesn't align so we need to fix it and how do we fix it uh, so so we spent a lot of time you know definitely working on this material internally so for a long time though you know we really did I mean it it, it took a while for me to really realize and actually too long that there was you know sort of a growing disconnect. You know, even though we've done all these things to kind of integrate people, but there's like a growing disconnect. And I remember, um, you know, someone actually, my, my job title for the longest time was CTO. And so when I started ArcWeb, I, I went by CTO. And, you know, I was a CTO of my last company. I'm certainly qualified to be a CTO. And, um, and I, and I never, and I never really necessarily saw myself, um, as a, as a CEO. And, and I also didn't like, you know, I felt like the title itself also, you know, could be problematic because now I'm saying that, you know, I'm, I'm the one in charge and I'm better than everybody else, but, or something like that, but which, you know, is not the case and I don't feel that way at all. You know, hence why I was resistant to even changing my title to it. But, uh, one of the people that works here, 
ask someone, you know, who is the CEO of ArcLab? <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, you know, a bunch of people were sort of nudging me to say, you know, like, ArcLab really does need a CEO. Um, I think, you know, you, you need to really own this title. Um, so finally, I changed my title to CEO. Um, and uh, anyway, so, so it's, it's also been a learning experience for me. I probably should have done that earlier. And, and um, you know, and, and at least internally, the fact that there was that confusion, you know, we hired someone who didn't realize that, you know, it was kind of, you know, it's, it's awkward and, and funny at the same time. You know, I can kind of laugh about it. But there's a part of me that says, you know, that was, that was a major problem. So anyway. <laughs> Great. That's awesome, Chris. So listen, I want to be mindful of your time, but I want to ask you one last question, right? Because in this notion of, of um, you know, the value of the organizations and the, the mission and whatnot, especially in, in your line of work, that is there ever, is it a challenge if your clients, you know, don't get that, right? In other words, if they're, beating you down on price and they want a low margin delivery or whatever it might be. Maybe just they just don't appreciate the, the nuance of what you just discussed. Is that, ever, is that ever a problem to help them understand, look, this is this is the way you're going to get the best bang for your buck, right? Because this is how we execute it and we want you to be a part of it. Do you, do you have to, in, for lack of a better word, indoctrinate them into your, your process and your way of doing things? Or can it exist without them, quote unquote, being on board with that? Yes. Um, that is a that is a big problem when there's a big disconnect there. So um, education is is key in part of our essentially our business development and sales process. And you know if if you know we'll we'll try you know to educate people as much as we can in that process to the extent that it makes sense. But some people kind of have their mind made up and don't want to be flexible. Um, and you know you know in those cases it's unfortunate, but you know we basically have to walk away. And uh, you know nobody likes to leave you know, a, a project, you know, and, and money on the table, essentially. But, you know, I look at my role to connect great people with great projects, and if someone's not aligned with that, then that's probably not a great project. Not to say they're not great people, but it's probably not a great project. And you know, we have uh, a criteria that we're actually we're just hooking up this survey system now, and it's actually part of – we have a gecko board that we use for our, our KPI metrics, which is actually in the lobby right after you get out of the elevator to get onto our floor. You actually see this gecko board of our metrics. But uh, it's a satisfaction survey, and the satisfaction survey is going to have uh, three people, um, you know, involved. One is the customer. One is, you know, ArcWebers, the people that worked on the project. And the, and the last is ArcWeb itself, you know, was it profitable, basically? You know, was, was the company, did the company hit its KPI metrics for, for profit margin? And, um, you know, that, that's going to be our survey system. And so that's going to be one of the, the barometers that's going to be used because, you know, we've had to make some epic level decisions in the past, you know, few quarters about how we change the way our sales model works, how we change the way our delivery model works. We have no real way of measuring this. You know, obviously, you know, our finance lead is, is going to measure things in terms of profitability, but that's not, that's not the only metric that matters. And, you know, you can, your umpteen number of businesses that say that they got screwed up when the finance people took over and not the subject matter experts. And so that's very important to me, especially because I have, you know, an engineering degree and I was a professional developer and I don't ever want to lose sight of the fact that, you know, we, we have to please the people that work here and that's, that's just as important as our customers. And so, uh, for, you know, again, connecting great people with, with great projects is, is, is a key. So anyone, anything that's going to really compromise that is, is not a good fit for us. And, um, you know, we've done projects where, you know, we went outside of that and then we regretted it later. And usually, you know, the people that work here might have been mildly upset. You know, the company itself took a hit on the profit side. And, you know, the customer was, you know, also maybe mildly satisfied with the experience. And so it's like, all right, well, there's, 
there's no point in doing this if it's just going to be essentially a net negative. So we need people that are aligned with us. And, and that has changed our business actually quite a bit because, you know, we've gone from people that, you know, prospective customers that know nothing about software and, hey, we're going to build your first product, you're a first-time entrepreneur, and, you know, we're going to take over the world, which, you know, we've done a few of those and, and you know, some of them work great, and then some of them don't work. But so we we kind of as we've moved upstream, you know, we now want people that are much more experienced, and you know, have have some software development um, understanding, you know, of the process that it takes to you know create successful projects, and that that's a big part of our criteria. So so the customers need to qualify for us just as much as, as we need to qualify for them. That's great, and I'll tell you what that's that's another consistency that I hear again and again from you know uh, business leaders is that the the, re, you know, the revenue is obviously important, but the right uh, kind of revenue is probably more important for the direction and, and where we want to lead the company. So look, we've been talking to Chris Sierra. He's the founder and CEO of Arc Web Technologies in the Philadelphia region, doing product development and design. Uh, they do uh, some fantastic work. You should check them out if you're in that market and you're looking for a partner to help you advance some of your technology that you're looking to develop and put in, into the marketplace. So, Chris, listen, I know you got an event tonight. I want to thank you very much for taking your time today. It's been enlightening for me and, and helpful. I hope it will be helpful for some other folks that are listening. And, and above all, just uh, thanks so much for, for giving me 20 minutes or so. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's a pleasure.